Welcome to I Like People, episode 12. It's Monday, April 29th, 2019. My name is Maxime, and this is I Like People. I Like People, and I Like Vic. Is technology our friend as well? Vic seems to think so. And I must say, under the penetrating glare of devices programmed to gather our simulacra and deliver it to dark secret recesses of government contractors building their own replacement, I hope that it is. Let's hear what he had to say to the seven questions to save humanity. And listen to some Leonard Cohen. My first question is, well, it started recently as, what are your preferred gender pronouns and who are you? But that seemed not right. So I've changed it to maybe something like, what names and other words do you identify as and why? And finally, I just came down to, well, where does your sense of identity come from anyway? Um, so my first question, I guess, would be like, uh, just give us your name and, and tell us a little bit about you. Hmm. So uh, my name is Vic Desitel. I was born a black child in the Bronx and became white and moved west. <laughs> okay. Can you tell us a bit more about how that happened? <laughs> I always remember the movie The Jerk. Yeah. But it opens up with him saying I was born a poor black child. And that has always left a mark in my memory. You know, here's this white dude trying to have rhythm on a porch and everyone around him is black, and you don't know what's going on yet. You know? Yeah. And uh, I love the, uh, the dissonance of that. And, of course, then the story unfolds. But uh, I just, I'm a Midwestern boy. You know, I was born in Wisconsin and spent most of my time, a little bit in Illinois, but most of my time in Minnesota and the Twin Cities, you know, high school and college. So I had that Midwestern attitude and feel. And then I moved to California for 30 years. I realized I was in California longer there than I was here. Here being I moved back a couple of years ago uh, due to the economy and some trauma that went down with myself and my boy. So I'm here. I'm quite eclectic by nature. I did engineering in college probably should have done humanities or philosophy <laughs> but i wanted to create things so i thought engineering cool i learn how to make stuff yeah that's the that's the real stuff <laughs> that's the real stuff now unknowing that i'd spend my entire time inside a book trying to figure out a math equation you know <laughs> yeah. and most of my questions in class were who came up with these equations how did they do that? You know, it was more philosophical. Of course, they, they didn't have answers. Right, they just, yeah. They just wanted me to have the, the right answer and show me how to get the right answer, which I rarely ever got. By the time I'd get done with the equation, I'd be so excited to think I'd finally figured it out and I've got it. And, of course, the number they were looking for wasn't right. <laughs> so hmm. I guess I was never very good at it, ironically. I still consider myself a designer. 
but not so much an engineer, the designer being the creativist. I went out to Silicon Valley and did engineering and stuff and made things, so to speak, in electronics for a while and uh, kept getting caught in the chasm of social misbehavior, you know, how work, you know, I could never figure out how anybody could get a product out the door because the hardware guys would fight with the software guys and it's like, how did anything ever work? <laughs> Indeed. And, you know, so I sort of moved on from engineering and got into sales because it was more people oriented or and applications and things like that. And I didn't like that very much because it was all just bullshit. You know, <laughs> yeah. You say whatever you can say to get the deal. And yeah, I was overwhelmed. But that is, in a way, how we interact with people in our culture. It's kind of our culture to, I mean, I mean, like America, USA, to to just like, what is your deal? What are you selling me? And you it know, is give me your give give me your best shot. You know, is kind of like the. <laughs> it seems to be give me your best sales foundational pitch. for the Western culture. You know, even. Even, hi, how you doing? And, you know, you're checking each other out to see who's going to say the right thing. And, of course, it always has to be fine. If you say, I'm not doing very well, people don't know how to respond to it. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. Oh, okay, well, gee, look at the time. Have a nice day. <laughs> you know, or they, well, we do sort of the little kind of, oh, I'm sorry, that's too bad. But we don't really know how to talk to each other unless we're trying to close a deal, even a relationship, right? Most of our conversation yeah. is to make sure that they like me. Mm, I think there's uh, a lot of insecurities around, around that. And yeah, it's sort of a salesy talk. Unfortunately, I'm, well, I'm more like your father. I think that's why I like your dad so much. <laughs> is, you know, we immediately drop down into the rabbit hole. We get past all the surfacey, hi, how you doing? You know, I, always, I didn't even like using the premise kind of equations, the words that you use to introduce each other. I sort of get now you have to do it. It's a cultural expectation. <laughs> I like that you refer to them as, yeah, they're like conversational equations. Like, okay, what do I, what yeah, do I exactly. put out there to get the right answer so I can plug it into my system? And That's it. You know, and we're unconscious about even doing it. And it's, it's interesting. I also noticed cultural differences just from the, East Coast, or, uh, the West Coast versus here in the Midwest how people are with each other and the process of being accepted into the tribe, wherever you are. Yeah. Yeah. T know. Tell us a little bit about that. Like what's the difference between your California culture and Minnesota culture? Well, here in California, and I didn't know our California, Minnesota, I, you know, I didn't even know it cause I grew up in it. There's a whole long process for accepting others into your tribe, you know, like in high school, the cliques were pretty major. And yeah, was more I remember the that. Click. There was the burnout click. There was the this or that. You know, we all had themes. And, of course, crossing the boundaries of those clicks, you didn't do alone. Um, and I always kind of wanted to. I wanted to be sort of across clicks, not in one of them. But you sort of get accepted into that. And then, you know, we're out in California. It's much more transient. I mean, all of us that go out there are coming from somewhere else usually. And we're leaving a family that we can't stand or whatever. Uh -huh. And there's a transientness that I think forces us to be a little bit more quick to say, how you doing? And let's, let's be friends. And I didn't know that until I came back here with my boy who grew up in California. He's 18 now. But he came back here for a couple of years. And literally, he couldn't 
he couldn't make friends. He didn't, he thought there was something wrong with him, you know, because they would be all excited about the California boy that's in town. And after a month or two of that in high school, everybody just went away. And he says, Dad, I, I don't know if I said something wrong or what. But he suddenly, you know, walking alone down the halls. And <laughs> he couldn't figure out what was going on. It's probably just a lack of communication from the Minnesota Minnesotans. The Minnesota I think style. That, and I started talking to other people yeah. about that that moved to Minnesota, and they knew exactly what I was talking about. There's a, a lack of acceptance into the tribe uh, without a long, slow duration of of nothingness in between. <laughs> yeah, I think that makes sense. Yeah, I think there's also an allergy to California or New York because Minnesotans have this sense like, well, why are we always pushed to pay attention to these great big, you know, cultural hubs? We're we're cultural too. Yeah. So there there's a little bit of there's a little bit of like, oh, if a Californian shows up, the assumption is that the Californian is being <laughs> Um, imposing their culture when they're just trying to just stand there and be right, there. Right, which David would do and it would scare him off. You know? <laughs> so it was interesting to see. He said, I got to go back. And he ended up going back to California. But there is these cultural differences that we don't really often talk about. And I spent a lot of time talking about them now because I think it's crucial if we're going to get to the next level of humanity, which doesn't look very good right now. <laughs> yeah, actually, um, that, that kind of has to do with my second question. But before I move on to asking about that, um, would you mind talking a little bit about uh, your name, Vic? And if you have any sense of, you know, is it important to you, your name? Is it just something your parents gave you? Or hmm. is there... Talk about my name. Well, yeah. first of all, I don't, I don't like my name, Victor. I, I'm, my name is Victor, and I was named after my grandfather because my dad wanted me to be named after my mother's father because he adored Victor Lemmer. My mom mm -hmm. actually wanted me to be called David, which now I call my boy David. Um, I was supposed to be a David because as I grew up, people would strangely call me David. <laughs> no, my name's my name's Victor, and I wouldn't go by Victor. I wanted to go by Vic because I never liked Victor. So I was never proud of my name for some reason. I was it was like it didn't vibrate correctly with me. My last name Desatel, I always thought was very cool. Desatel was unusual. It's you couldn't find many of us out there. It gave me a sense of uniqueness. Of course, go ahead and look up Victor Desatel. Out of seven billion people, there is only one. <laughs> so, yeah. It not Desatel like French Canadian or something? Yeah, good for you. Most people think it's Italian. Uh, it's French Canadian, and um, we weren't able to trace back the roots all the way because there was some spelling changes along the way. Oh yeah, that happens. Same so with mine. Hard to trace it. Yeah. Now you and you have Luxembourg in you. On my mother's side is Lemmer is Luxembourg. Oh yeah, I keep running into. Luxembourgish people and or descendant Luxembourgish related. Yeah. We've talked about And it's a tiny country. Yeah, it's a tiny country, but it's a crossroads country. You know, it's tied to you know, you look around, there's seven countries connected to Luxembourg. 
and they really? speak Swiss and Frank French and you know all these different languages in Luxembourg. Wow, I thought it was only three or something like German, German Germany, France, Luxembourg, uh, um, Belgium. Also Belgian, I think. No, wait. But I would guess it would be the seven countries that it touches. Switzerland yeah. too. Yeah, no, yeah, you're right. It's it's a pretty yeah. My dad and I are talking about maybe trying to get there and. Um, see if see if we gain anything from a visit um, yeah to that thinking about it too i had home. my some of my family got there because there's an actual family home there called the lemmer house and which is my mother's last name lemmer so that house they named houses after the people that lived there and they a lot of them they haven't changed those names so the lemmer home yeah. is still there i'm cool i'm reading about the this tribe in um the pacific called the Ticopia, and they do a similar naming thing where a house is kind of named after uh a family but also but also primarily the location of where it's at um mm. and 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 the scientist who was i think his name is firth um who was looking into this was comparing it to the what he called a, a sort of a silly European idea that we should name things arbitrarily, like you know, this ho- this family house is just called uh, the fun place or something, <laughs> or or yeah. it, it it doesn't really have a connection to a family or a name or or a More place of an or anything. Adjective or verb or something. Yeah, but of course, everywhere we go, it's names, right? I mean, I look around here in the Twin Cities, and there's all kinds of names that are named after famous people. Famous people that I'm yes. now finding out were quite abusive. <laughs> oh yeah, like Calhoun was a crook. Calhoun, and a, uh, Ramsey. Uh, I mean, name any of these big Eric, these names and county names and stuff. They were nasty. Oh my god. Of course, yeah, racist, and um, racist, genocidal, yeah. crazy people. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, kind of like Columbus, who we still honor. Yes. Him his day every year and it's like why he didn't even discover america <laughs> yeah you know it's weird i'm i've been trying to understand that and i think um it has to do with different attitudes like some people are really almost like well i don't want to generalize but i'll just say i won't try to attach it to something else but i'll just say that it's true that some people focus on the positives of you know very scary characters like abraham lincoln and and they just mm-hmm. they just focus on uh, well what he is said to have accomplished and and nothing else matters you know nothing else right. matters about him it's just the just the leftover um fairy tale version of him yeah yeah lincoln's a good one because he has an underbelly right yeah he's a warlord you know, a lot a lot of those guys did you know most of them washington I guess he was a total jerk. <laughs> That's not surprising. <laughs> Some of the new historians, you know, are coming out with their books about this guy. Uh, just a complete asshole, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, so anyway, back to the second question I have, which is, um, what does being human mean to you? Because it seems we're kind of on that topic anyway. Oh, my God. <laughs> What does being human mean to me? I'm still working on that one, Max. Okay. <laughs> I tell you, our understanding of humanness seems to come from our studies, our books, 
I mean, there, that seems to be a loss of understanding of something greater in ourselves. Now, we sometimes get connected to the, the greater capital H of humanity in our religions. I remember a few brief moments in my Catholicism, very few, um, but they were wonderful, right? They were sort of enlightening in terms of something conscious, you know, like spirit embedded into matter. How did that happen? <laughs> so I would always get kind of lost in the abyss of I am. I am that. You know, and I, I just, you know, some of these famous people once said that. I am that. And to realize that for yourself is quite awe-inspiring. So there's this part of me that is in complete awe of humanity's, the life that gives humanity humanness. And there's another part, because I've recently, in the last few years, gone down a dark rabbit hole to ask deeper questions about the dark side of us. And it's quite appalling. So I'm, I kind of oscillate between the awesomeness of humanity and the absolute disdain I have for what it seems to be in its, at its underbelly. And yeah. I try and understand that more, you know. Me too. I mean, that's kind of one of the premises of this whole project is it's called I Like People, um, mm. but, but, you know, it, I guess uh, what Lucy Van Pelt from Peanuts said, humanity's great, but it's people right. I don't like. And I, I almost feel like um, sometimes it could be even the opposite. You know, I, I like people, it's humanity I can't stand <laughs> or, or something like that. Right. And I don't, and you know, and we have a, especially in the West, we have a world that says, just talk nice. It's all good. You know, that phrase, it's all good. It's my absolute most hate, hated phrase on the planet. It's all good. Is, is this denial of our dark side and mm. to recognize it and acknowledge it and incorporate it into our beingness and potentially in a way that it would be less destructive. I mean, the, what we do to our own humanity when we get lost in a sense of power and uh, what happens in our minds, it just I, I, it blows me away to see how much abuse there is upon ourselves, let alone nature and other animals and the planet and all that. We are so abusive to ourselves. It's just overwhelming to me. Where does that come from? Right. Is that humanity? Is that human? Or is that outside? Or, or, is, it, or is it on the periphery? Yeah, is it something devil? that... You know, they used to write about it as the devil or he's... You know, he, he, he needs an exorcist because he's, it's, the devil is in him, you know. I mean, a lot of the religions, this Catholicism, Christianity is huge on that, right? It's not me. It's the devil in me. Yeah. It got yeah. in. And um, there seems it, to be a lack of uh, acknowledgement that it's part of me. I am that as well. And, you know, I'm seeing that a lot, especially as people get more and more power, they feel closer they feel that there's some kind of right to god that's higher than the rest of us the more power and the more money they get odd, odd, odd position to take when you see that we all pretty much look 
pretty close pretty to each close other. to the same except our wallets are a little thicker and we get to make decisions over you i mean that the whole hierarchy of decision making is a problem and i actually think it is a part of the dysfunction of humanity that if we were able to correct that we would have a much more wonderful world hmm human human to you means it sounds like it, there's a lot of questions about it. We don't really know what it is yet. In a way. I don't think we do. I think we think we do. Some of us and some, maybe some of us have reached some understanding of, of it. Or we, you know, our science sort of allows it, us to fix ourselves when we break a little bit. But for the most part, we, medicine science today, we're actually making ourselves sicker. So I don't, it doesn't seem to hold uh, all the way through. And yet the, the sense of awe when you get it inside you, that inspirational, oh, my God, it's so amazing, right? It may be the taste of a food or looking up at the stars or, you know, someone you love and looking in their eyes. I mean, it's just there is this feeling that is, you know, it's almost like a drug that we all keep seeking. We, you know, once you have it, you got to just keep go find more. <laughs> the sense of awe. Hmm, hmm, hmm. That to me is spirit. That's touching God or getting close to something greater than ourselves. It almost sounds like um, hu- the only hope humans have of achieving something that is better than the, than the crimes that humans are responsible for is by appealing to the flaw itself or the addiction itself and, and turning it into, well, can we get addicted to love? Can we get addicted to source energy instead of getting addicted to other stuff? Is that the only hope we have to, to just be good addictions or bad addictions? <laughs> yeah. Oh, sometimes it does feel like we are, our minds go into a, a vibrational response, i.e. the addiction, no matter what it is, you know, if it's a bad drug or a good drug, we all seem to want to, we seek this good feeling. I mean, you do addictions not to feel worse. I mean, there's a lot of side effects on addictions, but the reason you get addicted on anything, whether it's loving someone or a good acid trip, is because of the rush and the awe that you are inspired with in even a brief moment. And we then tend to spend the rest of our lives trying to get that again. Thus the addiction, you know, and then it wrecks our body because our body can't handle the whatever, the LSD or whatever. <laughs> Just straight out love of another. Jeez. What is the divorce rate now? 60% or something. <laughs> yeah. Love you too. Yeah. <laughs> well, right. Uh, I think there's a whole lot of factors involved in the divorce oh, too. So it's, sure. it's, it is, it, it is it is a lot well, of that so though. Addiction. What you just There's said. so much involved with it. But you'll look on TV and all they'll talk about is the alcoholic. Oh, and even the alcoholic says, I'm an alcoholic. There's no story with it that goes there. But in fact, the reason they became an alcoholic is the story, ninety-nine percent of the time. Right. And the emergence of that story and how the addiction was due to some kind of entrapment and pain that you spent time escaping from. Are, are you are you willing to talk about that a little Addiction? bit? The dark the dark side of humanity, and I thought, well, that means that you 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 might have some experience in it. Well, I've got 
a number of different experiences in the dark side of humanity. You know, I met, the reason we're talking is through your dad. I met your dad at Interfaith, and I was at Interfaith because I was dealing with the Catholic Church priests raping young children, priests sticking their dicks in children's ass. I mean, what's with that? And I was one of the abused. As an altar boy, I had some abuse done, and I was part of the lawsuit here in Minnesota against the church. And really? I'm glad you participated in that. Continuing to, you know, and finding out that it's not just the sickness of this pedophilia going on inside the church, which has been happening since the beginning. It's not like some new phenomenon. Right. People act like it's some kind of like, oh, some odd little corruption here or there. But no, it, this is ingrained in the yeah the institution. Ingrained in the institution. I mean, it was, was it the third pope? I forget. Uh, I was doing some research and somebody had done some studies and looked back. I believe it was the third pope turned the Vatican into a brothel house. He sold tickets tickets when he ran out of money for his whores uh, to bring in the whores and the, uh, you know, excess everything. He sold tickets to the people around uh, when he ran out of money and he said, uh, give me a dollar, whatever it was back then, and I'll give you a ticket to heaven and your sins will be forgiven. So he was passing out confession notes. You're healed. You get to go to heaven now. I don't care what, you know, whatever the sin was, give me a dollar and I will absolve you of your sins. It sounds like that pattern has continued in like um, narcissistic people who start cults mm-hmm. and, they're, and they're, there's often some kind of like, well, I can give you the sexual power that gives you the, the key to, to the paradise or whatever. Yeah, and there's the paradox of the rush with sex, right? You know, and then of course, especially the Catholic Church, right? You can't have sex which, you know, it's sort of like putting a plug in a dike. It's certainly going to leak somewhere else. (laughs) The the water is behind the dam, and it's going to come through. You can't eat. Don't eat. Don't blink. Yeah. Try not to move too much. Yeah. And when when you find out you can't quite do it, well, then, okay, no meat but fish on Friday. Okay, you can do that. So then they'd create the, you know, rules were just self-created by man saying that they were God's word. Anyway, you know, I'm now a student of abuse and looking at how much, did you know two thirds of us on this planet are abused in some way before we're 18? I I mean, most of us are abused and traumatized in some way. Very plausible. I had expected it a little higher. Accidents happen and there's trauma, but I'm talking about a majority of this being deliberately abusing others, self-satisfaction, whether, you know, sex or you know, a lot of other reasons, physically hurting mm-hmm. others, mm-hmm. especially children, and it's ongoing. So mm-hmm. now I'm a part of this, you know, and I came back saying, I'm not going to be a victim of this. I'm going to be a victor. I guess that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> How can I help the problem? You know, what can I do? So I tried to step back into it, and it was, it was a nightmare. It was really horrific what I learned about how the authority um, treats others. And they know not what they do. They really, somebody famous said that once, right? Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Well, he was talking to the priest. That was a Jesus hanging, blood dripping from himself, hanging from the cross, and he's saying, forgive them. And he's looking down, and there's a bunch of priests and guards. It was the military and the priestly order that he was saying, forgive them. 
because they mm-hmm. don't know what they do. And I don't think we've come, if that really did happen 2,000 years ago or whenever that happened, we even set our calendars to the dude, that dude. <clears throat> Although now we're finding out that calendar is completely wrong. It isn't true. Right, but right. we haven't gotten much farther along than back then. I really don't think so. <laughs> I see. Yeah, yeah, that's actually a pretty good description of at least um, the present version of humanity uh, and, and the sort of the social order of it. It seems like that is definitely a portrait of humanity right now. Yeah, um, and so I went even further back in my studies, and then I find out there's these weirdos that do research that suggest prehistorian humanity millions of years old and now there's new evidence that actually suggests it really existed like atlantis for example all of these buried underground you know under the water societies that are now emerging and they're you know testing it for how old it is and and highly highly enculturated advanced culture advanced technologies you know things that they're finding that suggest oh we're just doing this all over again aren't we They've already, we've already been through this once or twice. We just have no sense of time in terms of, you know, the millennia. Yeah, there are, there are many cultures that talk about how this is the third, fourth, fifth, or sixth incarnation of, like, the same yeah, thing. Yeah, What are we on now, number four or five, according to the, the Vedics, I think? Yeah, if you look at the, the Yuga cycle... I think it's something like that. And then some Native Americans or Native Central Americans or Native South Americans or whatever yeah, right. um, might have said that, oh, this is our, this is the fourth time this has happened. Or, yeah. It, it, yeah. And there's a cycle that is related to where we are in the galaxy in terms of our evolution, literally evolving around the center of the, of the, not the universe, but just our galaxy, right? The Milky Way. And that's about 25,000 years. And that's one major, that's one loop where, you know, one loop around the sun is a year, right? What we call ourselves a year. Oh, yes, yes. The, the greater motion of our, yeah, the great year you're talking about yeah, the, when the, the, whole, the whole system processes. Yeah. Yes. This kind of leads to my third question, which is, um, if you, have you ever had a change in your perception of reality? Have I ever had a change, like an altered state like we talked about with drugs and stuff? Yeah, I mean, I guess the original form of this question was how else would you care to describe your your earthly experience? But we covered so much of that that I started asking questions like, have you ever had a paranormal yeah, encounter? Oh, yeah. Well, paranormal, I've had a couple just enough to bother me, but not enough to it's like, well, can I have some more of those? <laughs> extra, extra proof. I woke up and there was a ghost standing on me, I remember one time. And it didn't go away until it realized I was w- waking up and then it flew off. It was, you know, it's like, am I still sleeping? What's going on here? Um, so I had a ghostly experience in a house. I've had those orb experiences. Now, my son was with me when we had this one. Oh, let's hear about that. I woke up, woke up in the middle of the night and there was this bright light shining in the window. And we both sat up at the same time. He was really little. Yeah, he was really little because he was still sleeping in the, the same bed with me. It was We had the parent-kid bed thing. But we both sat up, and that light, it was just a ball of light. I thought it was a flashlight. It's like, oh, shit, somebody's messing around. Yeah. I'm worried somebody's trying to break in or whatever. 
And as soon as it recognized us sitting up, it sort of jerked, like startled. <laughs> yeah. And then it floated off over a fence. And it was a float. You know, if it was somebody with a flashlight, it would have been bouncing around and, you know, yeah. coming and going in terms of seeing the light and going dark. And No, it just sort of drifted off and it was gone. It was really bizarre. And there wasn't any noise no, or anything? No noise, yeah. No noise at all. So they, people have talked about these orbs of light. That's about as close as I came to seeing one of those. But to this day, I don't What color was it? It was a white, pretty white light, maybe some slightly bluish white. Not super did it, bright did it, where you couldn't look at it. Did it cast light or was it just a glowing? It was just glowing. That's a good question. I don't know that it cast light or it certainly wasn't bright enough to me to recognize that to create shadows or anything yeah my experience was uh, uh, seeing a light and it didn't cast light it was very bright but i couldn't understand uh-huh. how it could how it could be there because it wasn't it wasn't shining it, out it, it wasn't shining out it was just a, a, a bright interesting that's a good point yeah did it radiate light onto the uh, its surroundings and maybe some yeah. of these orbs don't do that so mm-hmm. that and related, it was in a similar time. I did see the, the, the light in the sky, the distant light. I thought it was a shooting star, a moving satellite or something. And this was me and my wife at the time. And as soon as we started to follow it, it was moving down toward us and it took a 90 degree turn. <laughs> I mean, this was not a smooth turn. I mean, it's like... And I, I don't know, I have a little bit of science in me. I go, that is impossible. You cannot, yeah, <laughs> you cannot do 90 <laughs> degrees going as fast as they must be going because it was moving pretty good up there. Yeah. And, and then it was gone. Uh, it was just really very wow. bizarre. <laughs> so I don't know. I do think there's other life out there. We don't have a clue. We're so isolated in our little tiny minds and bandwidth of understanding. Okay, this started as a Earth question. How do we honor Earth? With the help of someone else, they, they kind of honed it down to, well, how do we live an ethical life? But I think that might be just because they agree with me that having this honor and appreciation for the gift of Earth is important. So I, I'm dialing it back to what is the best way we can honor life? Well, it's almost interesting because it, it ties to your previous question in an interesting way. One point about that is, you know, I've never done any very extreme drugs, except alcohol was a high that I I get. Um, um, marijuana, I've done it. I don't like it. It doesn't seem to do me very well. I, I guess I'm more the triggers the paranoia or the, for me. I think it, you know, it amplifies your, your emotions and your questions. So if you're a big inquiry guy, I don't, pot just probably doesn't work very well. <laughs> yeah, no, I was just up late couldn't sleep it was not very pleasant and i've had the both you know i've had sativa and i've had um indica but it's i just don't i don't think it's for me well here i am a bit like feeling older now and it's like why haven't i done any of these plant medicine experiences so now i'm becoming a student of the shaman and taking some coursework trying to understand what it is and of course plant medicine is directly related uh, ayahuasca is sort of becoming a trendy buzz right now, which concerns me, but it also suggests to me uh, a desire to connect 
see, because that's this is answering your immediate question, which is the voice of Earth through the plants, and ingesting the plants, you get to speak with Earth and the life essence of it and the spirits that are here in a whole different way. And I think that that's critical to us to walking lightly on this planet, to having reverence and respect for it, which we don't really have, right? That seem we've lost the sacred in our way of nature. And um, I think plant medicine is, is a potential. So I'm actually going to, I'm waiting and looking for the right opportunity. I, I want to do it in ritual. I don't want to just like, let's have a party. Oh, you got some ayahuasca? Cool, let's do it. Mm. It's more, you know, uh, to ritualistically use it and see if it can take me into an altered place where I can uh, speak to spirit. Uh, I don't feel very connected to that spirit thing, whatever it is, and I want to. And I think a lot of it is addressing our connection to earth. Mm. Wow. Thank you. That's nice. So we'll see. Um, Stay tuned on that one. <laughs> I don't, I, I, I absolutely don't mean to sound racist, but are you at all, do you have any uh, first nations or indigenous like uh, ethnicity? We have a picture family picture the photos go back a number of generations and there in one of the pictures is this dark dark skinned black haired high cheekbone larger nosed woman and so there's been research going on with family trying to find out what our heritage is you know did one of us french canadian types get into a teepee one day I mean, you know, in terms of getting connected with the native Indians, long story short, um, we supposedly have some Ojibwe's. And so I have an Ojibwe, I have a, and I've always as a kid been drawn to the Indian way. You know, I had my little pop-up villages and things like that, that I was really intrigued with Indian art and all that. Um, so I'm now reconnecting with that again through your dad actually i'm starting to meet some people and trying to reconnect with my native way here in the twin cities of course there's a lot of Lakota here and they're doing a lot of interesting world change work so uh, that's yes. that's a new opening for me um and i may do my dna one time just to verify for sure i guess that's fairly accurate now but i don't know if i want to be on you know the uh, the Illuminati's list. <laughs> oh, this, <laughs> oh, we, you know we're on the big list, and they know now that I've got some nasty non. I'm not pure white, so we're the first they get rid of. You know, so <laughs> right. I imagine there's some kind of human-made list. They're trying to catch up to the the alien database. Yes, you know. The alien database is probably much more extensive, right? right. <laughs> and they, and they're like jealous I'd love of that. To see that database, huh? <laughs> okay, this well, this leads to my fifth question, pretty, pretty smoothly. What does community? What does community mean to you? Mm. This is that which I seek and have sought for a long time. Uh, it means it. It is the revealer of spirit and the deeper sense of belonging that the human condition needs and i'm presently finding i'm without it 
and having trouble finding it. And then they look around and I think the primary problem with the Western culture is that we're so busy and we know so many people, but there is no sense of deep commune with the people that we know or are connected with, or even our neighbors, right? So community, I, th I think, is the, the thing I'm looking for is to rebuild that. And the things I do, even in going back into the Catholic Church with child abuse, was to initiate, engage with the community, not the priests, so to speak, and the people that run the place, but the parishioners or the people uh, of faith that are um, just show up on Sundays. You know, there, there's a lot of them that have a communal sense uh, when they're involved with each other through volunteering or service to others, etc. Yeah. I think we need a, a lot, lot more of that. And um, I, I think it's the vehicle to healing many things from addictions to different forms of abuse, self and, and to other uh, illnesses. Um, we take too many pills. We just need a few more people that we're deeply connected to. So community is a big deal for me. I'm glad to hear that. I Actually, what you said resonated with me in a way I didn't really expect, which is that I do have a sense that community is something beyond what we think it is or even what we've um, tried to explore deeply and failed to get to. I've been traveling and asking people what community is and getting a lot of different answers. <clears throat> but I think you, you've hit on something that, um, that I've been seeking too, which I, I kind of buried because I didn't really meet many people who have that same sense maybe. But it's that the idea is that it's not just we, we like each other. It's not just our lifestyle is, is um, compatible with the lifestyles of those around us. It's not just some um, structure that we've created, you know, capitalism or communism or anarchism or whatever. It's something else. It's something that, that I think you're right, that without getting too golden agey, uh, we, we, we had or, or we've had glimpses of it. We have evidence that people have it. And in white culture in particular, we've become alienated from, from it. it. Yeah. Everything from the architecture that we use to create community, which is squares and straight lines instead of circles and curves, to, to other aspects what, that keep us isolated and feeling alone. And that we need a professional. We have to go to the therapist, to the doctor, to the priest to get what we need rather than recognizing that the communal process of gathering some people together to support a troubled one um, and that we do that for each other. That imagine, imagine that. Imagine, you know, maybe it's happened sometimes for some of us but I can hardly get my own family to come and sit around and talk about, you know, the, what happened to me going homeless in California and such. Uh, it's just too difficult for them. I don't know how we get that learned out of us. Uh, I'm, I'm convinced that um, the communal process, which is ancient, that not, I'm not looking to go back to 
antiquated ways. I love technology, actually, and um, believe that it can be used for good as well as dark or bad. It's not about going back to, you know, pissing in a bucket outside your door. It, it's about the cellular DNA in us that is calling out to be connected with others more deeply than, you know, wanting to find people with degrees uh, in order to feel comfortable. Right. And I, I think that the right community could heal most of our ailments far better than a pill or a degreed person can. And which brings me back mm. to the shaman way and trying to understand what that is about because it's, it's worldwide phenomenon. It's archetypal. That healing process has been everywhere. Somehow we pushed it out with the white way, uh, the colonialistic way. And I don't know. I got to learn more about that. You know, why? I agree. I think that, well, first of all, I have to say that I am so sorry about that your experiences that you've gone through that have been so troubling. And um, I just wish you the best. Well, thanks for that. I've had parallel experiences and I know, I know that, you know, my dad has had parallel experiences even closer to you've experienced with the abuses of the Catholic church. Mm -hmm. But our community isn't just based on suffering together. It's, um, it, it's it's something else, and hey, let's know, get together and suffer. <laughs> you know, and, and, and yeah. I guess you have to be careful of that too. But in the healing is the joy. I mean, you know, there is a lot of woundedness on this planet, and I'm convinced that in done in the right way, we can share our gifts more effectively with each other and actually feel the joy, not just the pain. But um, this isolation that we've created through professionalism and entitlism and name your ism. I don't know that it was all, you know, malintent, but I do think we got to step back and go, wait a minute, <laughs> right? Something's wrong here. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we haven't uh, metabolized the trauma properly because I think that a lot of it is based on trauma. Yeah. Uh, Every reactions, religion started reactions with to trauma. This. Religion was put in place, if you look back at it, most all of it was not, it didn't start out of some joyous place. It started out of, we're all messed up here or we're getting condemned or, you know, excommunicated. Religion started to heal the pain of something. What projects or collaborations are you presently most excited about? I'll just tell you the ones I'm, the ones I'm in are, well, the one with the church has evolved to interfaith because I still think a place of faith is holds uh, a sense of sacred that is necessary to heal the children and the abuse that's going on. Ironically, a lot of the darkness is also happening in our places of faith because of the power issue. So I'm, I'm working on an interfaith related project. I'm also working on an ACE project, which kind of came out of it, which is um, trauma. It's the trauma-based healing and what that might look like, especially with the children. And I'm also working on a a regional project called Smart Regions, which is looking at uh, trying to revitalize small towns, which many of them are dying, and the convergence into the large city, because supposedly that's just, that's where everything is at. 
even though we have technology now that would allow us to live in the small towns and have these smaller communities, which I think are healthier for us in many ways. So I'm working on that project. Wow, that sounds great. Changing normal project. The changing normal, the one you're indirectly starting to step into and be involved with. And to me, that's an exciting one because it's, you know, what, what would changing normal look like? And is there a normal that needs to be changed? And, you know, what are the issues that we feel could be done in a little bit healthier way as a humanity? And how would we get there? So changing normal is an exciting one for me. Can you tell the listeners more about changing normal and maybe where is that going or, or anything more about it? The scope is holism. So it's, it's not picking a project to try to make it better, like racism um, or uh, hunger or child abuse or, I mean, pick your problem. It's not trying to go in and then solve that problem. Um, it's trying to look at an underlying way we are that created those problems in the first place and continue. It, you know, we make mistakes and all that, but somehow we seem to instill ourselves in these problems and they continue to get bigger. Homelessness, for example, it's been with us forever. Why? It Actually, we have the resources necessary to make homelessness go away, yet we still have it. So what is the issue with our behavior in our world that resists the changing of a normalcy that is not really well for the majority of us? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because I think a lot of people are voluntarily homeless and that is because they've, it's, it's like the last way to just resist a system that will not listen, that will you know ignore the abuses and the traumas and cast them aside and they're like i'm done like i am gonna live i still have a will to live and i still want dignity but i'm not gonna be i'm not gonna do it that way and so we're obviously missing um and that's a lot that's one percent of the homeless people and yes there is a rebel radical group and you know more power to them to demonstrate something but most of us that were homeless or most that are on the street and there's a broad definition of what homelessness is they don't want to be there. <laughs> you know. Oh, they just don't have uh, enough yeah. money to go live in that apartment across the street that they're looking at with their handout trying to get money as cars go by. Thank you for that answer. I, I've talked with a few homeless people and gotten different, a lot of different responses. So I mean, there, and there's a broad range, just like anything else, in terms of why are you here? But you yeah, know? no... That's true. Okay, well, I'm glad to have that insight. I, I think there was some mission in the Twin Cities recently that was, what did they say? Let's end homelessness by 2014 or something? <laughs> yeah, there's a project going on. I mean, we've all, you know, and, and when I had my homeless experience, I started, once again, you know, like the church child abuse thing. It's like, oh, so this is homeless. So this is those other people that I would talk about as other people. No, I'm one of them. How did that happen? And, you know, it's like I'm a bright guy. How is it that I can't make enough money to pay rent in a place that I lived for 15 years? And how does the owner suddenly be, feel entitled enough to call the police on me after calling, call me, calling me family for half of that time mm. because I couldn't pay rent? 
and what is this all about? You know, so I began to study the money system and how money actually works, not how money is taught in school or how most people think it works. And I learned a lot of things and started a project called Project Homeful. Project Homeful, of course, I tried to get money for that. You might as well try climbing a slimy hole, try to get out of a slimy, <laughs> slimy wall. You know, it's a slippery slope. You can't get out. I, yeah. they all, all they wanted to know is how they were going to make money. Yep. And I was like, yep. <laughs> well, you're sort of missing the point. This is a, there is a money to be made because I had an app that would go with it and people would buy into the app in order to help uh, mark people that are homeless and, and find homes for them. By the way, there's seven empty um, places for every one homeless in the United States. Oh my They're goodness. just empty. Seven uh, for every one homeless person. So there's, there are resources. But we have this sense of, you know, I don't know, what is it? Is it greed? I don't know. If the rich have seven, you know, have all these houses that they go to, but they're empty most of the time, you know, and of course people think homeless are scummy people and they're going to wreck my place if I live there. So there's a, a an attitude and I was like, well, I was homeless once. Am I, did I, did I, you think I'm going to go piss in the, on your rug in the corner if you let me stay there for a while? So I, I started to learn about all of these uh, resistances from good people, not the bad people, quote unquote, that could care less about homeless people. It's people that were saying that they go and help feed the homeless on Saturday. I says, well, that's just keeping them homeless. I know they need food. But how about we eliminate homelessness instead of just sustaining and maintaining status quo of homeless? I didn't know what to do with that. <laughs> just didn't know what to do. The conversations uh, would end. They just, you know. I can, yeah. <laughs> well, that leads to the last question, which is, how can we all realize <clears throat> more human happiness together? more podcasts like this max maybe oh <laughs> asking sweet. questions that are more deeply profound that touch near the core of our souls and and giving permission to others to do that i think that's going to make us more happy once we get past the fear of being revealed yeah. of our vulnerability being exposed which is huge, especially here in the West. Yes. So much fear about being seen. And yet the paradox of, you, you know, the glamour of Hollywood and wanting to be, to look like so-and-so Hollywood person, to be seen in that way, uh, feeling a sense of shame for our own seeability, to be able to get past that and become vulnerable with each other to share our vulnerability and the things that are difficult um, and our dreams that are maybe weird to somebody else, but that they are accepted in, you know, a communal place where they are received and allowed. Um, I think that's a whole re-educational process. I mean, I, it would mean a complete revamp of education as we know it, but I think there's potential to be happier. We just got to redesign stuff from an engineer mind's perspective. Man, this one didn't work. I still remember that the image of uh, uh, you used to like Farsight. Remember the 
the cartoon series Farsight. yes yeah yeah so one of my favorites was this 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 scientist was holding a petri dish and it had an eyedropper over it with a drop coming out of it and at the bottom it said well this one didn't work and inside the petri dish was planet earth <laughs> uh, right yeah big, big oh. giant scientists right galactic scientists good old gary yeah. larson so it's like well maybe this didn't work you know and and accepting or acknowledging this isn't working so well what do you say we you know redesign some stuff let's make it better rather than trying to well, make it better. I'm actually saying make something else because we keep trying to build on problems by and fixing a problem is like trying to fix a bike with a broken wheel that no matter how many spokes you add to it to try to keep it going, it just isn't going to work anymore. It doesn't roll. Mm, but we keep mm -hmm, trying to mm -hmm, fix mm -hmm. those. And I think that maybe we just need to build a whole new bike. <laughs> Well, um, there is a question that was asked of uh, the last uh, guest to the next guest, um, but I'm in the middle of recording episode 11, so I'm just going to ask you one that was asked before, which is, why do you do what you do? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, that came up in my shaman workshop, too. Uh, we journeyed for each other, and in the gal who journeyed for me in that particular case came back with the spirits and the question the spirits said, I need to ask answer the question why do you do what you do why are you doing this you're doing it right now <laughs> you you made it <laughs> da, da, da. so I I think I'm still on that part of the journey why do I do what I do but there is a sense a strong desire in me to serve and from a selfish perspective, it makes me happy, it makes me feel better. From the challenging perspective is, is the way I want to serve isn't necessarily, uh, well, it's been challenging to move some of my points of view into the world to be considered. It's sort of radical, the way I think. Right. <laughs> so, it's, it's still considered radical, yeah. Yeah, hmm. it seems like. And I, so there's a challenge there, right? It's almost sort of a paradox. And so I'm in the, in the process of work now, which is really, what's the difference between giving up and letting go? I think that's going to be the, your question for the next guest, if that's okay. Bingo. What's the difference between giving up and letting go? Ooh, nice one. Well then... That's the end of my seven questions to save humanity. Thank you for answering them. And I, your answers were awesome, truly interesting. And I think they enriched me as well. So thank well, you. Well, <laughs> thank you back for doing this. I, I love the conversation. I hope you keep doing what you're doing. It's important. Thank you. Now, we do have a song to uh, think about and review. So um, did you pick one out for us? Yeah, it's been under my skin, I guess, lately. And it's... Um, oh, Leonard Cohen. Leonard. Leonard. The, his recent one, it's relatively recent. He has since passed just uh, last year. And it was about the, the darkness that's going on in, in the world and how he positions himself really to move on. And that 
they can't get the best of him. Does it start with kind of like, it sounds like choir? Mm-hmm. Do you want to play a piece of it? I guess it's a little dark, but I see, I mean, I think there's an inspiration in it, the spark of light in his message about darkness. If you are the dealer, I'm out of the game. If you are the healer, means I'm broken and lame. If thine is the glory, then mine must be the shame. You want it darker. We kill the flame. Magnified, sanctified, be thy holy name. Vilified, crucified in the human frame. A million candles burning for the help that never came. You want it darker. You are the healer. Yeah, there you go. Then I am the 
You want it darker. And I am the light. Is that how he's... Mine must be the shame. Yeah. You want it darker. Yeah, that's the one. So how does this um, how does this resonate with you? Well, it speaks to what I've been going through in terms of my own darkness. You know, the the depth of the well of my personal darkness with this work that I've been trying to do, and the feeling of uh, lack of support or community around me to do it. And um, it also speaks to I hear him speaking about a very conscious darkness of people on this planet that want harm done to others. And uh-huh. he's, he's standing as a warrior to say, well, first of all, you know, do you want it darker? You know, uh, how does he put it? Uh, I see him as, as a, a warrior of the flame holding that light strong as he sings this. And the interesting thing is, is he died soon after. I also uh, heard so a, a sense of despair for how bad it is and speaking to it directly. So he was being vulnerable with his own sense of truth around the shit going down that we all kind of want a Minnesota nice it away. Uh, Have a nice day. <laughs> Instead of talking about it and dealing with it. He's a messenger. Definitely. Yeah, when I first heard Leonard Cohen, I believe it was Democracy is coming to the USA. And it was like, and I thought it was kind of goofy and yet um, poetic. And and it's hard to, it's actually hard to find anyone like Leonard Cohen in in music. And he's sort of a tongue-in-cheek, right? He, he talks about it yeah. really not hammering anything completely as bad. It's just, you know, even like that democracy, almost trying to be upbeat, but you could tell that he was actually shunning what people thought democracy really is or what we really have is not democracy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and he does that with his music, and I... I think that's a, a good way. As a messenger, you know, that's the, the fool, you know, the foolish way, capital F, to tell what's really going on inside the, you know, the king's pen. <laughs> right. It does sometimes give me alarm bells. Like, is he, is he too well positioned? Is he, uh, you know what I mean? Like, how can we talk about truth in, in if he's even a celebrity? How is it even possible? Yeah. But then I think, you know, well, the the overwhelming feeling I get from his stuff is that it's, is that he's trying. He might not know everything, but he's, he's trying to. He's trying to speak to it, um, you know. Yeah. And be open about yeah. it. You know, and, yeah. So, a little dark for most people. But I think that more people need a little more dark so they can see some new sparks from a different perspective. After all, it's the only way you can see the light is in the dark, right? Yeah. And it's not like a, you know, he doesn't really make dance music. 
it's not something that you it's i guess it could be categorized as jazz or something where you're just listening you're just taking it in he's got some different styles some of his stuff i don't like you know he's gone through different eras of music where some of it was sort of jazzy some of it kind of had a goofy edge to it that i didn't like at all (laughs) yeah yeah but his later work especially you want it darker (laughs) (laughs) sums it up all right yeah that's good um then let's um let's finish with the song and I'll just say thank you again and uh, hope to uh, get you on the show again sometime or um, anyone in your community, if you think that they'd be interested in participating in something like this and let's, let's model real dialogue, you know, let's, let's model some, some humanity. Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's be vulnerable with each other. Yes. Yes. Dare to say something that may be uncomfortable. Thank you. Right back at you, Max. Thanks, man. Take care. Bye-bye. It's coming through a crack in the wall On a visionary flood of alcohol From the staggering account Of the Sermon on the Mount Which I don't pretend to understand at all It's coming from the silence On the dark of the bay From the brave, the bold Battered heart of Chevrolet The mock seals come To the USA
Still holding up this little wild bouquet Democracy is coming 